Welcome into Think Deeper. I am your co-host, Will Harrop, joined by Jack Wilkie and Joe Wilkie. We have got a uh, interesting topic lined up for you guys today, part one uh, of a part two um, that we are going to get to, obviously, next week. Before we do so, we need to start on a very serious note. Uh, there is a behavior. There, there's some things that have been going on in society over the last few weeks, and there's things, you know, we're constantly belaboring the point about how our world is kind of going down the drain. And it's just really saddening when this type of behavior is not just seen in the world. It's also seen uh, in the church and a lot of Christians partaking in this activity. And that is the playing of Christmas music before Thanksgiving. My man. Um, Just something (laughs) that we have to address, guys. I mean, we've let it go on far too long and not that we need to have a big debate about it. But what what are you what is your guys thoughts on this? just horrible behavior that we're seeing from Christians all over the United States. Really? I mean, you're cutting out Thanksgiving, so it's the sin of ingratitude, and it's, uh, I would say it's worthy of disfellowship. <laughs> I think I think so. I, I don't have any disagreement. Any I'm Mariah Carey is, is not to be seen or heard. Uh, yeah. <laughs> ever. Ever. Even well, Christmas season, true. let's be honest. <laughs> true. But I'm surprised you're rolling this out in the intro, because I think we could probably get a full full run of an episode on this. That is true. And honest. But I guess this will we'll have to cover it here briefly. But I, I do think that Jack's right. I think there's sin of ingratitude. I think there's just jumping the gun. Um, and, you know, lack of patience. Patience is a fruit of the spirit. Uh, it just shows. <laughs> Joe's got like a whole outline on this. <laughs> oh, yeah. There's just no. I can't stand it, man. I can't stand it. Um, I You know, shout out Ben Rector for having a Thanksgiving song that I think is actually a really good Thanksgiving song. We need more Thanksgiving music. So I'm just going to put that out there. Um, if we have any Christian artists, then again, I don't listen to Christian music, so I probably wouldn't hear it anyway. But um, to be clear, I'm a I'm a big fan of Christmas music, uh, not Mariah Carey's Christmas music. But I just when it's when it starts, you know, November 10th, and then by the time December 10th rolls around, you're already sick of it. It's just like, okay, well, then I'm not enjoying it at this point anymore. So I'm a big advocate for Christmas music the day after Thanksgiving. Anything before that. It's the law of diminishing returns, right? Your Christmas tree has been up 55 days. It's not bringing you the same joy. It's just not. Right. Okay. So yeah. That's a great point. To be clear to everybody, we're very clearly kidding about all this. It's not a sin. It's not anything wrong. It's a pet peeve of ours, but I I think it's uh, great that Will brought that up. Yes. Amen. Um, Yeah. We've got some very faithful listeners, of course, that are already bumping the Christmas music. So uh, we will will forgive you, I suppose. We'll have to tolerate it. But uh, uh, no. So with that, guys, unless we have anything else, let's go ahead and get into today's episode. So the topic that we want to get into today is what is God's purpose and design for sex? And and this is one that as you hear that, or as maybe as you read the podcast title, you might do a double take and think, wow, are they, are they really discussing that? Uh, Because quite frankly, it is something that doesn't get discussed a lot. It's something that we tend to stay away from in the church quite a bit uh, for several reasons that I'll get to here in just a second. But we firmly believe that this is one of those areas that we absolutely cannot neglect to teach on. Uh, whether that be uh, in the home, obviously among our families, but also whether that be in the church, you know, this is one of those things that God designed, God clearly has a purpose for. And if we simply step back and allow the culture to kind of redefine and and really do most of the teaching on, on sex, 
we can see where that's taken us. We can see the problems with it. Again, if, if us as the church and us as uh, fathers and our families are not doing what we're supposed to do in order to teach what is God's purpose and design for it, if we just step back, again, the culture is going to take it and run with it. And so, again, this is one of those topics that is difficult to discuss simply because it's awkward uh, for many people. You're not, you know, you don't hear a lot of Bible classes on it. You certainly don't hear a lot of sermons on it just because of kind of the awkwardness of it. Uh, it, it's one of those taboo subjects. And so, again, our young people, I know I'm typically the one that always goes to young people, but it's because, you know, I, I am the youngest one on here, so I think I have a little bit of, of uh, say-so there. But I firmly believe that if our young people, once again, are getting all of their teaching on sex outside of the church and outside of their families, that's a problem. And that's something that we have to not just say, oh, well, yeah, that's a problem. That's something we have to find a solution for. And so what we want to do with today's episode is talk about that solution. That solution being teach young people and educate ourselves if that's something we don't know about. What is God's purpose for sex? What is God's original design for sex? And how can we do a better job of teaching that? So guys, as far as this this introduction goes, do you have anything else to add as far as why this is something that we typically stay away from? Yeah, I uh, spoke at something a couple weeks ago, I think we had mentioned before, and we were covering some of the masculinity stuff we've touched on before, and somebody just came up and said, man, no, nobody talks about this kind of stuff. And that's something we really want to do with this podcast is it's part of declaring the whole counsel of God. And as you said, people are finding this information somewhere. Unfortunately, young people are finding it from TikTok, from their peers, from TV, from TV shows like Modern Family and, and these from things online, that are introducing. Yeah, online, yeah. all kinds Google, of yeah. YouTube, wherever. And it's awful. And because we won't get into these things, oh, that's, that's a difficult subject. That's an uncomfortable subject. That's, you know, something you don't talk about in a church auditorium. Uh, well, they're going to find it elsewhere and then they get messed up on it. And so I want to say that um, number two, I want to say this is part one of a part two. We're going to have Will's dad, Dr. Brad Harrop, come on next week to talk about uh, reproduction, fertility, the pill, you know, some of those things that are very much of concern to young Christian families, Christian couples, um, kind of the more scientific side. Joe, uh, is, is kind of our expert on this one. He's, he has a seminar on this that he does for churches about human sexuality that covers, uh, marriage and, and married sexuality, but also pornography, transgenderism, homosexuality, you know, all of these things are kind of his area of expertise and his work of therapy. And so, uh, Will and I are, are here to kind of learn from him, uh, to cue him up to uh, cover some of his material here. And so uh, the funny thing is, you don't get a lot of speaking gigs because a lot of churches don't want to bring in a guy to talk about sex all weekend. <laughs> and so because, again, we don't want to touch this subject. And so uh, that's what we're going to do here on a brief two week, you know, be a couple hours worth of content. But it's a, an introduction to some really important stuff. The other thing I would say, yeah, I oh, appreciate sorry, it Joe, real quick. I didn't know Go if you were going to make the disclaimer it. or not. Uh, if you, we, we understand a lot of people listen with their kids, um, and so I think it probably goes without saying that this might be one that you need to listen to as a parent first, maybe before, obviously depending on the age of your kids. But uh, Joe, sorry, you go ahead. I didn't know if you were well, going to give me, a disclaimer or not. On that, let me ask this. Um, people that have teenagers, especially upper teenagers, those that might be looking towards dating, courtship, marriage, that kind of thing, uh, Joe, you know what we're going to cover better than Will and I do. Uh, is that something that they should listen to together and talk about, or is this more of married people kind of stuff? Personally, it's I... It's family by family. Obviously, I mean, parents I'm, decide what you're going to do. I'm going to leave it in correct. your hands, but Joe, what are your thoughts? Correct. Yeah, we're going to be using... Um, tell you what, 
I'm, I'm trying to decide how I would best go about it because I feel like just explaining some of the terms we're going to be using are what you, you know, unfortunately have become not safe for work, as we might say. Um, at the same time, I think kids need to be aware of these things. And what I run into with a lot of families is the kids are more knowledgeable about sexual things than their parents because they run across it. The parents go, oh, I couldn't possibly talk to my kid about it. It's like your kid knows terms and ideas and things that you couldn't begin to understand because of the world of pornography and because of TikTok and all sorts of things. And so I would encourage you, yeah, we're going to we're gonna have some discussion on this. I personally, uh, the, I'm, man, you, you put me in some hot water here because I'm going to say, if your kid is 13 or up, I think they should be discussing this. If you have had the talk, quote unquote, which don't get me started on that, but if you have had the talk with your kid and they know things about sexuality, I would encourage you to let them listen. So I'm actually going to take a... a little uh, moment of silence here. From this point on, we're going to be using some difficult terms. If you're going to turn it off, turn it off now. Okay, we're into it. So now that that's happened, we're going to be discussing um, all things pertaining to sex, sexual organs, masturbation, things like that, that are difficult to get into. Um, but you, I think, need to be aware of these things. And Will, you made reference to it's good for kids to understand I don't think most adults know what the purpose of sex is, to be quite honest with you. I think there's so much, there, there's a clear lack of teaching in the church, but the teaching you do get is horrible. The other thing I would say, and this will get us into where we kind of want to start going into the, the, the history of this. If you are one of those people that's uncomfortable with your, your teenage kids um, in a class or listening to a podcast like this about sex, then you also are probably going to be uncomfortable with them reading a lot of the Bible, you know, you, you study the, the old Testament, you look at, um, even, even just the first book, you go through the book of Genesis and you've got the chapters with, uh, Judah and Tamar, you, you know, you've got the Lot's daughters. Lot and, yeah. Lot and his daughters. And a lot of things, I think I, I don't know if I heard this somewhere or, um, or, or not, but I, I told my parents one time, it's like, man, if the, if the Bible was a movie, what would its rating be? Because, you know, it, 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 it doesn't hide from a lot of the, perversion a lot of the corruption that that you see uh but it, it spells it out very clearly and so i guess I, I make that point to say this is something that the bible clearly doesn't hide from obviously you know get into the new testament as well uh you had the, the the prostitutes with corinth and all the issues that paul was addressing there um you had uh, again as i mentioned polygamy in the old testament all, all those things and so again if you're somebody who is very shy of this topic, then you might need to brush up on, on, on studying God's word, Old Testament, New Testament as well, because it's something that, that gets brought up quite a bit. Uh, but guys, did you want to get into anything else with that kind of Old Testament, New Testament, the polygamy that we see, all of that before getting into the the European Americanized history of it? Throughout human history, sexuality is one of our choice ways of sinning against God. Uh, you look at Sodom and Gomorrah, the sexual perversion. It was an evil city. There were a lot of evil cities, but what made this one so over the top was, hey, these visitors that came into town, we just want to use them for our own sexual gratification. Um, God burns it to the ground. You look at uh, towards the end of the book of Judges uh, with the Levite and his concubine, and it's basically a recreation of Sodom and Gomorrah when you look at it, and it's essentially showing 
Israel has spiraled out of control to the point where they're just as bad as as the worst of the pagans. Is their sexual deviancy, their sexual desires, totally unchained? Uh, Romans one gets at this, and you know the spiral. It's always connected with when a society has drifted furthest from God is when the sexuality comes to a fever pitch, like we're seeing today. And so um, I, I skip some of the history there. You're going to get into how we got to today through Freud and guys like that, but. I think just on the biblical perspective of this, it's very much this is what humans do the further they drift from God. The the spiral of Romans 1 is it you don't acknowledge God, you you don't worship God, you're you're not giving him the praise that he's doing. It just ends up in total degeneracy. And so sexuality is kind of man's ultimate rebellion against God. Well, it's fascinating to me that Satan uses sexuality in that way that it's the same thing as working hard. Working hard is from God. The the ability to um, have the ability to work hard. Like that is part of the beauty and the perfection of the garden. How much can that be taken into workaholism and, and into chasing after money and, and really desiring money and all those things? It takes something that was inherently good and it imbu- abuses it. And Satan does the same thing with sex, probably more than anything else. I would say money and sex are kind of the two, but like he takes something that was so pure, so good that God designed and takes it to its furthest, you know, like as far out as can be away from God. And everything really is in rebellion to God. And so you think about Freud, you think about, um, there's actually a few at the turn of the century, but Hirschfeld, of course, Hirschfeld um, in Germany, and, and a lot of work that he did for the transvestites and, and transgender people back in the early, late 1800s, early 1900s, that seemed to be changing a lot of people's perception. I think you had the Roaring Twenties where even some of the silent films, it's its crazy. People don't realize some of the silent films had nudity and things like that in the um, some of the earlier films. And so they were exploring sexuality at that time. You fast forward into the 40s and 50s, you got John Money who's coming up with the idea of gender. You've got um, Alfred Kinsey who's just a horrible man. Uh, both of those guys are very horrible and they're pedophiles as well. But um, Kinsey and, and the Kinsey Institute now is a leading voice in sexual perversion. That's taking place. Doesn't it make sense that on the heels of that would come uh, the sexual revolution in the 60s? That you would have free love and, and flower power and all of these things that uh, really pushed into let's go out and, and just explore our sexuality. So we come from the silent generation, the greatest generation, the 40s, 50s, where these things are academically being discussed and then it gets into the culture where now you have 17, 18, 19-year-olds going to Woodstock and, and having sex right and left with anybody and everybody, thinking that that is freedom. They seem to, 70s roll around, there's still some of that. It's it's almost like the 80s and 90s went into making, it was more about greed than about sex at that point because it was, you know, stock market and everything else, especially during the Reagan time, Reaganomics. And so people made a ton of money and sex kind of put on, seemingly got put on the back burner from being at the, the forefront of society. But... In the 90s is where pornography, AOL, things like that really start coming in. Um, They had had it in videos and magazines. Playboy actually goes back to, I think, 57, 1957. But um, 90s with the rise of the internet, I think YouTube was 2005. So the first porn tube site was 2005 or 2006. Um, and it's it's really risen from say, there with the sexual perversion. I think it'd perversion. be safe to say it's kind of back in the forefront now with the rise of the internet. Correct. I would say it's coming back with transgenderism, right. LGBTQ. And so each of these has come from rebellion to God, taking something, once again, that was great and saying, well, how can we use it for our own purposes? And how can we stretch the 
um, kind of the design for it, the boundaries of what is normal, what society takes as normal, and it almost always starts academic and then comes to the society, which is what tells you, get your kids out of public school, get your kids out of colleges as much as possible, secular colleges, because that's where a lot of these things get passed down. Jack, what yeah, it's interesting, though. You look at the statistics, young people, like, sexuality is very much on the decline into how much they're actually doing. They're just watching it. They're just passive consumers of it. And so porn use, all that stuff is through the roof and the degeneracy, the... I mean, you've got the uh, the pride parades, obviously, and the, the trans stuff, but the furries, and I mean, just like weird stuff that the people are into, but you look at the numbers, and they're not actually doing that much. It, it's all theoretical, and uh, Foster and Tennant, in their book, It's Good to Be a Man, uh, we're talking about how sex being good, created by God, be fruitful and multiply, stuff we're going to cover in the next couple episodes, is God's design, and they said Satan hates sex. He, he His goal is to pervert it and, and divert it and really shut it off, you know, basically get you focused on other things uh, to prevent married, godly couples from producing offspring because Satan hates the offspring of, you know, godly families. And, and that's the result of all this is you can talk about anything. It used to be, you know, kind of the whole what people do in the privacy of their bedroom. Now you can march it down bed, uh, Main Street, but they're not actually doing it in the bedroom. It, you know, it's it's all performative. It's display. It's it's passive consumerism. And so we're in this really weird place right now where you're outwardly degenerate, but everyone's so disconnected that it's not even happening. And so it, it's such a weird place that we've come to that's also not tenable. I mean, the birth rate being below replacement, that's not sustainable. Uh, we're, we're at a tipping point where things have to go one direction or another here. Well, that's very interesting that you bring up the point... Um... Satan hate, hating sex because you think about, and that's the next area we're going to get into about the way the church currently teaches on sex. At least when I was growing up, it was pretty much sex equals bad, you know, because everything you heard about it was in a negative connotation. Don't have sex before marriage, uh, homosexual, you know, sex, God's purpose for sex, at least. It was always stay away from it. Don't talk about it. Abstinence. And of course, we're not saying that that's not something that we should be teaching our kids, but it was never approached in a positive manner. It was never uh, taught on in a positive manner about, hey, as Joe brought up to start, this is something that's holy. This is something that's a blessing from God. And so I'm actually, Joe, I'm interested. Uh, you've done some premarital counseling. Um, and so I'm very interested in what your answer, the answers that you hear whenever you ask somebody the question just off the cuff okay what is the purpose for sex uh you you broke down some of those to start but i'm interested uh and I, again i'm not sure how many people you have done premarital premarital counseling with but for, specifically for those who grew up in the church what what are the answers that you've heard whenever you you ask that question hey what is what is the purpose for sex yeah i've done a decent amount and the number one answer is procreation number one answer that's and and really that's one of the only answers What's the purpose for sex? Procreation, maybe they get into to satisfy the guy's needs. That's about it. Um, we and, and beyond that, anytime, and interestingly, when I work with those in the world, they seem to get more of the fun element. They understand there's there's an aspect of fun and it's for our enjoyment. And those in the church is like, whoa, hey, we don't want to go there because that's going to open Pandora's box to get into porn and get into orgies and get into... You know, all sorts of just crazy stuff. If we start acting like we can actually enjoy this, like that is one of the reasons it was created was for our enjoyment. And what I always ask those in the church, I say, okay, 
if it's just for procreation, tell me where it mentions kids in the book of Song of Solomon. Where does it, where does it ever mention them doing that for procreation? Song of Solomon is X-rated. Now, we try to come in and we try to say, well, hey, it's, it's, you know, that's all allegorical for the church. Excuse me? He's talking about, he's talking about, like, her sexual organs, his sexual organs, you know, the penis and the vagina in very, um, kind of graphic ways. And it's beautiful. It's poetic. It's a, it's a husband and a wife, like, enjoying one another and, and, you know, letting that satisfy you and talking about, once again, very, um, adult themes why do you think you never, I'm actually, I, I told them in Nashville School of Preaching, I've uh, been able, been fortunate enough to teach there, and they're like, what do you want to teach in the new, uh, for this new semester? And I threw it out there, I said, would you let me teach Song of Solomon? They're like, go for it. So I get 13 weeks to teach on this book, and I'm pretty excited about it, um, but I'll I'll be surprised if I get anybody actually showing up to that class. <laughs> we'll see, nobody wants I to discuss this. I think you will, this. because again, we talked about, nobody talks about these things. When I've I've never I might have heard my life and I've been going since I was born I I can remember maybe one time hearing Song of Solomon preached in a sermon we don't reference it we don't go there I, was but say, don't I talk barely about even it. hear references to it you know in sermons. yeah I remember <laughs> as a young kid straight out of high school in preaching school uh, Doctor Petrillo who we've had on the podcast uh, teaches through Song of Solomon and he took a couple days because it was kind of an overview of the wisdom literature and. Man, was my face red. Uh, you know, it. but it's like, it It really does talk about that. Oh, that really does mean that. Like, it's not even in dispute, you know, these things you're talking about. And so, um, but it is that like, oh, well, we stay away from it. And there's, there's this Gnostic tendency of like enjoyment, the body, you know, the, the physical Asceticism. world is kind of bad, you know, the, and there's a lot of people that have that dualism. The body's bad, the spirit's good. And so, like, let's not play too much into the body thing. It's like, God gave you a body. At the end of creation, he said, this is all very good. You can get into the Adam and Eve thing and create as the help meet and, and be fruitful and multiply and all those things there that, like, this is part of the plan. And we're not, like, borrowing something from the world. And I think that's kind of the framing of this is right. sex belongs to Satan in the world and we can have one little morsel of it over here to satisfy us. And it's like, no, we have the pinnacle of it. Married sex is the pinnacle of it. All of these other things are perversions of it that don't make you as happy. And we, I think a lot of people think, oh, they've got all these things where they're having all kinds of fun and we're not allowed that because the body is icky and bad and all that. And so we just get this one that we're allowed to have. No, 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 no. We've got the best one. Everything they have is utterly unfulfilling. And you hear some of these rock stars talk about, you know, they've had 500 women. And like, in fact, I, I heard an interview with somebody the other day where he was kind of like, you know, one of those pickup guys go to the bar with different women every night. And he said after 20, 25 of them, he's like, they'd come over and we'd just talk all night and they'd go home because like there was no meaning in the sex anymore. Like he was so lonely. He could have a woman come to his apartment every night of the week and the loneliness that was there. And yep. so, like, what they have is awful. What we right. have is great. And and because of this Gnostic tendency we, tendency we have, the body is is bad, which... So I've, I've talked about my other podcast, Who Let the Dogma Out. I've always hated those TV shows and movies where you've got to, like, watch one to get the other. It's not like that at all. But we are talking about Gnosticism this week. So check that out because... Man, we as Christians hate the physical world so much, and it manifests in things like human sexuality, and I think you run into that a lot, Joe. Oh, yeah. If we had discussed, if we had a solid sexual theology, and if we discussed uh, Song of Solomon way more than we do, think about how much fun 
they have in Song of Solomon. And we are talking like oral sex and things that, oh, that's disgusting. We could never, like, those things take place in the Song of Solomon. And it's a beautiful thing between a husband and a wife. And it's fun. And it's good. And it's holy. And sex is intended to be enjoyed and ultimately to give glory to God and to have a the the highest form of intimacy on earth that we can that we can possibly have what an amazing gift by God and because we don't discuss it because we don't want to talk about it because a little three letter word sends us in the conniption fits oh i can't just you know we can't possibly use sex from the pulpit we can't possibly discuss it cuz what about the kids it's going to send them off it's like no us not talking about it is causing them to end up in therapy with me 15 years later. Like, right. <laughs> you know, major porn addicts because they didn't ever get it. Or anytime you go into the talk, it's like, well, son, um, you know, and you're shaking to death and you just can't possibly figure out how you're going to tell them about the birds and the bees. And then it's like, ooh, ooh, man, we got through it in five minutes. And, you know, you kind of wipe your forehead that's sweating profusely because you can't stand talking about it. Like, come on, people. Stop acting like sex is this dirty thing or just ultra awkward man how in the world are we going to discuss it with our kids it's like i plan to discuss it with our kids as we grow at four years old they can know that that marriage is between a man and a woman no they don't need to know about penis and vagina at four years old but you know what they're going to figure that out in time and it's not going to be at 15 it's not going to be at 18 if i can just get my kid kind of keep him safe from the world no you can't 98.9 percent or 98.7 percent and i would really say it's 100 percent are going to run across porn before they're 18 of all kids so well, that's part of my a, Gnostic a, thing as well. Is it's denial of nature. Right. It's I mean, a kid starts hitting a sex drive at twelve or thirteen years old, right. and guess what? Their brain has the curiosity, and they have the resources at they their have the access, disposal. Right. I right. mean, if they don't have the internet, they can get a dictionary. I mean, like right. literally, start looking up what does this word mean? What is this word? And so you've got that, and you get to the Song of Solomon thing again. They're describing each other's bodies, and it's really hilarious sometimes. Like, oh, your hair is like a flock of goats. Your neck is like a, a, a castle's tower, and you're like, Solomon, your game needs work, man. Exactly. That's a goofy-looking woman, man. Like, <laughs> Right. But it's she's gorgeous and she's doing the same to him man you're you're one good looking dude and we deny that we had our episode on health and kind of taking care of yourself and like that's looked at as a bad thing in the church um is is kind of the the physical the outward thing and again this is all denial of reality because a young 13 year old boy is going to look at a girl with you know nice hair dress nicely for church or whatever and go wow and what do we make him feel bad about that and a girl is going to look and go man that guy He's he's a good looking guy, and and we we like downplay those things. Like these don't matter. These don't factor in. They it's reality, and the world goes, yeah, no, that does matter. And kids go, well, yeah, it does. And so they stop listening to us because we won't talk about it. Right, and we hope that you know, as they're kind of getting into their burgeoning sex drive, and at 12, 12, 13 years old, they're really starting to understand these things. And things start to feel good and, and whatnot. We think if we can just keep them from it, if we can just keep them from their friend's house, if we can just well, keep them speak- from the internet. Speak for a second about your donut theology. Sure. Real quick, though, uh, the I love this analogy. Thing, the yeah, ironic go ahead, thing, Joe, about that is we'll keep them from it, keep them from it, keep them from it. Then what do we do with them at 18? Yeah. Send them off for four exactly. years, right? Or, you know, in high school, they're away from us for, for 11 hours a day, 12 hours a day. And again, that's not this is not to delve into that range of things. But we're so backward with the way that we parent, with the way that we approach this. It, it is almost a let's keep them as far away from it as we can but then dump them head first into the proms and the you know yeah, exactly party culture that kind of thing and so dating this culture. is dating culture exactly let's just send them by themselves for six hours yeah that's a great idea and so this is really a call to parents to 
wake up essentially about the fact that, like you said, your 10 year old is already number one, probably knows these things already. But number two, if they don't very curious about these things and with the access that they have, they're going to figure, they're going to find out one way or another. You better make sure that they find out from you as their parents rather than their peers at school, rather than a YouTube video or et cetera. But you had a thought, so go ahead. No, no, you're, I was going to add on to that. They get into marriage. It's bad. It's bad. It's bad. We avoid it. We don't want to talk about it. We get into marriage. Have a happy sex life. Like, are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? You haven't ever talked once about it in a positive way. But as soon as I get married in that little 15 minute church of Christ ceremony, I'm supposed to go from, this is the worst thing in the world to this is the best thing in the world. And somehow I'm going to have a healthy sex life. We're basically like, yeah, I don't want you to know the alphabet. And then here, I'm going to hand you an encyclopedia. You get to reading. I don't even know how to read. Like, what what does this mean? I'm not saying they need to have sex before marriage. As a matter of fact, they don't. We'll get into why that's actually a horrible thing. But there needs to be so much more understanding and discussion surrounding Biblical these education. things. Biblical right. education that we're not running from. And Jack, to your point, oh, and I was also going to say, I was talking to Danny, uh, Dr. Petrillo, um, about some of these things. And he said, actually, some of the ancient rabbis didn't want to take it. It's one of the reasons they took it as a allegory. They got really squirrely about discussing sex as well. He said, that's not just a an American or a recent thing. He said, this is a long, this goes back quite a bit in history, a long time ago. Even they had a really difficult time interpreting as highly sexual book. Um, and so he said, yeah, it's, don't, don't think it's just our culture. Like this goes way back. But to that point, you know, thinking about our culture and the way that it is, one of the reasons we have a tough time discussing it with our kids I think, and then I'll get to the donut theology, Jack. But one of the reasons I think we have a tough time discussing with our kids is, is your sex life good with your spouse? You can be in your 40s, 50s, or whatever, and there's so much wrong with most people's sex life, and this is what I get into. The guy's addicted to pornography. That's so common. The guy's addicted to pornography, and he's getting it from, from this harem, this online harem. She is just incredibly burnt about it either she doesn't know when the guy's living in you know kind of a double life or she does know and she kind of hates him for it and well fine you're just getting it elsewhere so i'm gonna withhold and you know make until you stop the porn well the more she withholds the more he wants to go into porn and not because of the sex drive actually but because he feels worthless and rejectable because he's being rejected or the other side is the woman thinks i need to be ultra sexy i need to buy all the lingerie in the world i need to to make sure that he wants he desires me more than the porn that's also missing the point porn is not about her you know the girl online being better looking than your wife it's about an emotional disorder and so we have all of these issues in the marriage and then we think we're going to be able to give our kids a proper understanding of sex we don't have it ourselves in our 40s so how in the world am i going to talk to my 15 year old or whatever about what healthy sex looks like when i haven't ever seen that in my life how am I going to talk about how enjoyable sex is when it's it's pulling teeth to get my wife in the, you know, to, to even have sex with the lights on? We have to have it with the lights off because of her body image issue. Like, there's so much, there's so many issues that are wrapped it's, into it's this. The guy, it's the guy who's divorced giving marriage advice, right? Saying, right. hey, this is this is how you stay married when he's divorced twice. Right. That's, right. That's what like, how, how are you going to tell your, your kids what healthy sex looks like when you've never had that in your life? And the thing is, in a in a proper marriage with a healthy sex life, it is literally one of the greatest things to pull a husband and wife closer to God, closer to one another, and you don't have to talk about it with your kids. Your kids will know how much you're in love with one another. Your kids will see what that looks like. We, we think kids don't pick up on the stuff. They absolutely do. 
They absolutely pick up on the emotional undertones of the home. And I don't have to know what my parents' sex life was like. I could tell you the emotional undertones of the home and what's taking place in the bedroom. Maybe not on the sexual end, but certainly on the emotional end. And those two things are inextricably linked. Going well, and back there's to all your those point. jokes, you know, about like, oh, we get married and that's the end of your sex life. And, you know, because that the world has those because it's, oh, you go out there, sow your wild oats, you get to do all this stuff and then you get married and it ends. But, you know, as Christians, that really can be a thing, I think, of couples who three, four times a year kind of thing, you know, oh, yeah. uh, because like you said, the guy's getting it elsewhere and, and she's withholding for power or whatever i mean like all these bad things that come out of it like that is something and that's one of the reasons why to do this podcast is if you're a married christian and that is anywhere near your sex life where it's once every month or two once every you know like basically you're not doing it at all together that's a problem and it's also kind of like the check engine light of like that says a lot like you're saying it's going to manifest in so many other ways if the, the, not that you need to be doing it every day. That's not the point we're getting at here. But if it is that that really that, that it doesn't exist, that it's very a small part of your relationship, that says a lot about the rest of your relationship. I love that analogy of the check engine light because we could, you know, well the lights the lights on. So what if I just smash the dashboard until the light turns off? You still have the problem, right? Sex is not the problem. Sex is the check engine light. It's it's the light itself that says, hey, we got a problem in the marriage. I never look at sex as the issue. As a matter of fact, I, I, in my therapy, sex is the last thing we discuss. A lot of people want to, if we can fix the sex life, everything else will work out. Wrong. What that tells me is you're spiritually, emotionally, intellectually not intimate and not connected to one another. Sex is the pinnacle of intimacy. It is, it is the, once you are sexually, or once you are spiritually intimate, and you guys know each other's sins, and you talk about it, and you're praying with one another, and you're doing Bible study together, and you're really invested in their spirituality. When you're really invested in their emotions, and you take time at the end of the day to talk through the day, and what happened, and what's going on, and you care for one another, you validate the emotions. When you are just really good friends, and you're living life, and you share goals and dreams together, and, and it doesn't have to always be the same, but you're on the same team as friends, right? We're, we're a team in this, and that intellectual intimacy, and we're talking about the things that matter to us, Guess what is is going to be amazing? Your sex life. Because the physical, it's the top of that pyramid. It it, it will every this the great sex will arise out of those things. So when the sex is bad, and that's we hardly ever have it. How many times I would say, don't worry about having sex yet. How many times have you been open with your spouse about your emotions recently? Are you able to talk to them about the struggles that you have with them, the struggles you're having at work? Do you know one another? Gottman, John Gottman and John Julie are, are, you know, the foremost marriage experts in the world, really. Yes, they're secular. Yes, they back some LGBTQ stuff. Not a fan of that. At the same time, it doesn't take away from the fact they have amazing marriage advice in a lot of ways. And they talk about love maps. And I would encourage our listeners to maybe just Google Gottman, G-O-T-T-M-A-N, love maps. It's a lot of questions. Do you know your wife's best friends? You know, do you know your husband's stressors? Things like that. Well, that Real quick, sorry, Joe, that speaks to the point of pursuing your spouse you almost always do 95 percent of that before you get married right and you're, you're you want to know things about them you ask them questions what's their favorite you know x y and z too far too often you get married and that stops right you hear that that trope right and i've even been guilty of this i, I couldn't you know I, I i used to i would send rachel flowers a ton before we got married and 
really, I guess for financial reasons, that backed down quite a bit uh, <laughs> after after we got married. But you you know you hear those jokes about the dates, you know, slow way down uh, the the deep long. Curve. I mean, when Rachel and I were were dating, we'd be on Facetime for two three hours, you know, a night, or we're both doing homework or whatever because we just enjoyed being together. If that stops, you know, three to five years after you get married. That's a problem, and yet that's what we see a lot of times. And so I think that speaks to your point about when is the last time you had a just a deep conversation with your spouse? When's the last time you went out to eat together and you weren't, you know, alternating staring at your phone? You know that 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 speaks to this this intellectual intimacy that you're talking about, this emotional intimacy that we get wrong before the physical intimacy ever goes astray. And why do you think you get so aroused? And I'll just say the word so horny before you're married. You're all over each other. You're kissing and you want to do it. And if you make it to the altar, most of the time, barely, you barely made it. And you're a technical virgin if you do make it to the altar. Alyssa and I certainly didn't. Why? Because of everything you just said, Will. I'm pursuing her 24-7. She's on my mind all the time and vice versa. And we're, we were literally talking three to five hours a day. Anytime I wasn't doing school or wasn't working while I was, while we were together, I was pretty much on the phone to her to the point that my family's like, hey, do you still live here? Like, where are you? And her family likewise. When you go from that, like you want each other in every way. I wanted to know everything she thought. I wanted to know everything she felt. I wanted to know all about her life. Of course, I wanted to know her sexually. What happens in most marriages is that seven-year itch, as you talk about, and as you talk about going out to eat, looking at the phone, we somehow think that I'm going to go out to to dinner. I'm going to look at my phone. She's going to look at her phone. We're going to maybe discuss the kids a little bit. We're going to maybe discuss a couple things at work. Nothing big, kind of surface. Discuss the and then food we're, that we're eating, right? Discuss <laughs> the food we're eating. Barely talk to one another. Kind of look around the restaurant. You know, she's got some things going on. Is he checking out that chick, right? And and all of a sudden, we're supposed to come home and have hot sex. Are you kidding me? Do you actually think that's going to happen? And most guys do. Wake up, please. Figure it out. Like, why do you think that your wife is going to give you the hottest sex of all time when you spent the entire night ignoring her? And wives, no wonder why you you hate sex so much is because you don't feel pursued by your husband, but you also, a lot of wives, end up holding it above their husband's head and end up using it as a bargaining chip. I'll give you sex if. Thousand percent wrong. You're sinful if that's the case. And husbands, if you're not putting into your wives and you think that, that you can demand sex anytime you want because, well, 1 Corinthians 7, but you don't live with her in an understanding way and you don't caress her and care about her and validate her emotions and spend time working on getting to know your wife and you think you're owed sex, you're in sin too. No wonder why we have so much sexual dysfunction in the church. It's ridiculous. We have no understanding of what the purpose of sex is. We think it's for procreation and for the guy to, to you know, for him to have his fun occasionally and the woman hates it the entire time and it feels like, and yes, this is going to be very X-rated. The woman, the guy feels like he's having to rape his wife every time because she doesn't want it. They have sex with the lights off. He never gets to really connect with her and see her naked body because she's got self-body. I mean, I could go off for hours on all the sexual dysfunction in the church and then we think that we're going to be able to affect the culture in a positive way and we wonder why kids are walking out chasing porn who make it look like so much fun. Are you kidding? Like, I'm so frustrated at our lack of discussion about this in the church that we get to this point and, wow, we're losing our kids. And look, guys, 60 to 70% of guys are addicted to porn. Why do you think that is? There's a lot of emotional issues, but what's the easiest thing to turn to? That. So many guys. Well, and then they bring that into the marriage. You know, correct. Why can't, and, and, you know, why can't you do what I see on there? Why can't I have this as frequently? Why isn't it as available instantly anytime I want? Right. Uh, and that comes with it. And so I queued you up for the donut theology thing like 10 Sorry. minutes ago. So yes, I'm, gonna, I'm just going to briefly <laughs> do your own analogy for you. It's 
don't do this, don't do that, do not do this, do not do that, do not be transgender, do not do pornography, do not be gay, do not do not fornicate, fornicate. yeah, and, you know, all the do nots, and as you say, there's a hole in the middle of it of what do we do, and so that gets us to the, the back half of this uh, podcast, this episode, is we've discussed all of these issues, all of the cultural issues, all the issues within the church, all the issues with how we teach this to young people or, or don't teach it to young people, um, the, the Gnosticism of it all, all these things we've discussed. Topic of the episode is what is the purpose for sex? Um, so, again, you you got to, yeah, we see procreation. Yeah, you know, trying to keep the guy from straying, things of, of that. But um, we, we've kind of... We, we have an outline. We always talk about our outlines. This one, we've we've touched on points all over it. I'm and all so over the place here. What do you, as we kind of get to this kind of main point of the podcast, where do you want to start on like the, the, the biggest thing we need to cover on the, the main purpose for sex? Sure. So I already discussed one of them, which is I think it is the pinnacle of intimacy. I have a, what I call my intimacy pyramid. And it literally reads pies down. You know, the top, there's four different levels, and it's physical, intellectual, emotional, and spiritual. If you're struggling in your sex life, forget the physical for a second. Figure out where you're lacking on the intellectual, emotional, and spiritual. I think that's a big purpose of sex is it's arising out of an intimate knowledge of one another. Um, the other side of this, I think, is it's a way to solidify this covenant before God. Even chemically, right? God... God established oxytocin where you are chemically bonded, and this is one of the reasons you don't fornicate, is you have a chemical bond to the person you have sex with. When It's like super glue, right? It's, it's been described before. So when you have sex with somebody and then you rip it off and then you have sex with somebody and then you, you, know, you, you break up and you have sex with somebody and you break up, it actually gets weaker over time. Whereas if you only have sex with your spouse, you create this chemical bond that is so strong with oxytocin. It is a, is a physical bodily chemical that takes place. Um, it's a very beautiful thing. And so it is a way to, to further establish and to solidify the covenant you made before God. I am going to be naked physically to, to, to pretty much represent my nakedness to you in every other way. I'm being fully open and transparent about my life and I'm giving you something that I don't give anybody else. And that's the covenant I made with you. And so sex is, is God's beautiful design to say, Let's truly establish this covenant. That's why, what's the first thing you see after people get married? Especially in scripture, right? It's the wedding night, but they knew one another, meaning they had sex with one another. Why is that an immediate thing? Because it's a way of, I think it's a way of worship toward God, personally. I think a husband and wife doing it and, um, you know, like having so much joy and, and pleasure in one another is a way to glorify God for this amazing gift and to solidify that covenant we made. Well, you, you think about the, the second command that God gave after, you know, he told Adam to, you know, not eat of the tree. Eve came on the scene and then you, you know, be fruitful, multiply comes out in Genesis one, but you can imagine he probably didn't give that command before Eve was created to Adam. Um, but you know, whether it's first or second, whatever is one of the first two commands, be fruitful, and multiply. So basically one of the first two commands God gives is centered around this, this idea of, of sexual, pleasure within a marriage, you know, at the foundation, at the beginning of time is one of the first things God establishes is, you know, husband, wife joined together, knowing each other in the way that you're speaking of. And again, it's such a foundational principle and which again, just speaks to the, the idiocy of why we ignore it so much, but sorry to cut you off. No, no, you're good. I think this is, this may be from Julie Slattery. Um, 
but and and definitely based on her work and Christopher Yuan is another one they got some great things um but they said sexuality is a holy metaphor of a god who invites us into covenant with himself god created us as sexual beings so that we might unlock the mystery of knowing an invisible god your sexuality tells the story of god's intention to draw you into his covenant love the celebration of intimacy with him and the devastation of betraying him uh, and I thought that was really good because it, it goes to meet our greatest spiritual needs, which is intimate knowing, passionate love, and fidelity, right? And that also, dropping a few things here, this is another Julie Slattery thing in, in one of her books. Um, she talks about what's, what sex represents to us, and she says it represents four things, faithfulness, intimate knowing, sacrificial giving, and passionate celebration. Once again, faithfulness, intimate knowing, sacrificial giving, passionate celebration. Those things are inherent in a healthy, vibrant sex life that ultimately sex is to push us back toward God, back toward his covenant love. And I think sex is, is one of the greatest ways to bring heaven onto earth, in, in my opinion. Sex between a husband and a wife and that intimate knowing, you see the intimate knowing between God, the Godhead. We get really weird about it and we go, you know, that, that seems kind of weird what they're having sex. No, we take sex, the dirty part of sex, and when we talk about it in a heavenly way or we talk about it in a, you know, in a spiritual way, we try to bring the dirtiness there. There's nothing dirty about it. Sex was God's way to represent what he had with the Godhead. Perfect, intimate knowing and knowledge. And nakedness where they knew one another and, and there was, again, that sacrificial giving and that kind of hierarchy approach and we see this in sex even down to the sexual organs of the man having the penis that is intended to thrust and being more of a dominant thing and the woman receiving right that is built into god's design for sex it's a beautiful thing that we have forgotten about because we allowed the the world to really mess up our thinking on that i want to focus on that last part of the quote because uh, your sexuality tells the story of God's intention to draw you into his covenant love, the celebration of intimacy with him, and the devastation of betraying him. Where does or does it tie in you know, all the analogies you see in the Old Testament about Israel basically committing adultery on God? Or, you know, you see the, the divorce analogy or the, the betrayal. Is that does that tie in here, you know, with with that I just focused on that last line, the devastation of betraying yeah, absolutely. him, you know, similar to, to cheating on your spouse. That's what Israel did with pagan gods, you know. Right. They they betray that covenant relationship with God by worshiping by worshiping pagan gods. Does that play into it? Absolutely. God desired to have a perfectly intimate relationship with them. And we get once again we get weird about oh a sexual relationship. No. That is that was the pinnacle of that. Like in, in the physical realm, but God desired to know his bride, Israel, the way he desires to know the church. Right? Christ's bride. There is the sacrificing, the the Christ giving himself up, Ephesians 5, right? And the roles that are inherent in a marriage relationship. But yeah, the betrayal. Think about the betrayal for God. Of, I have loved you. I have given you everything. And Hosea and is the perfect... you're choosing to worship, right. Right. Hosea is the perfect example of this, of what you're talking about. Hosea takes a, a prostitute as a wife who continually betrays and cheats on him sexually with other men, potentially bringing in STDs. We don't know. Certainly having other kids. Um devastating to Hosea, and that's God saying, hey, this is what you're doing to me. So, once again, the correlation between the sexual and, and the spiritual cannot be separated. Sex is our thing. It is a it is God's thing, and don't let the world take that away from us. God uses it for his own way to say, this is the way I desire to know you. For you to be naked with me, 
in every single way and let me know you in that way. And, and once again, not in a sexual way, that's between a husband and a wife, but it is to mirror our relationship with God. And I think heaven is going to be all about perfect, intimate knowing one another. It's, we don't need sex in heaven. We know there's not sex. We know there's not, well, we don't know about sex. We know there's not marriage in heaven. So we assume there's no sex in heaven. We don't need it. We will be fully known, but this is the best way on earth to represent what I think heaven is going to be all about, which is that perfect knowing, the perfect well, knowledge and the celebrating. You know, with Adam and Eve, it's they become one flesh, right? Right. And that is that we're going to be one with him. We'll be one with each other. That that oneness that it is is a completeness is things coming together to make a whole. And so, yeah, I mean, the, the question of will there uh, will, will sex be in heaven? As you said, it's not needed because the oneness is something you'll share with everybody. I think Lewis has written on this of you're going to be closer to everybody in heaven than you were anybody on earth, even your spouse, just because all of the the barriers between us have been stripped away. We are all one in Christ, all one in him, one with him. And so it is just that that connection, the depth of connection that comes out of this that, that sex is a representation of here on earth. And so that's why it's so important to a marriage and why marriages that neglect this or marriages, marriages that act like it's secondary or whatever it is, or men that, you know, marriages that look like, well, it's just a man getting his, uh, getting his pleasure in. That's the only reason for it. You're missing the beauty of one of God's greatest gifts he has given us on earth. Truly, one of the greatest gifts. And because we don't want to discuss it, because we get all awkward and squirrely about it, we don't, we, we miss this. Please, to the listeners, I'm asking you, please don't miss this. And if you're married, pursue a vibrant and healthy and, and, and celebratory sex life with your, you know, with your spouse, because that is one of God's greatest gifts to help us understand him. Well, and a proper understanding of what you just laid out, Joe, is, is how you can also then have a better understanding of what makes adultery so bad, of what makes you know, looking at pornography so bad. It's not something that it, that is just, oh, well, God said don't do it, so we don't do it. It's look at what God has blessed us with with, with sex and look at the the illusions and, and, and everything that, that you see uh, that, that correlates together. That's when you understand those things is when you can understand, oh, that's why, you know, a, a husband choosing to cheapen sex or a husband choosing to just simply do it for his own enjoyment by looking at pornography is such a bad thing. It's, it's not just bad because God said don't do it. Same thing with adultery. You know, the, the world views, obviously, pornography use, but also even adultery in such a, a cavalier light, you know, in a, well, you know, you know, people do it and you see these television shows where you're kind of rooting for it, right? The, the spouse is, is just a, not a great person and there's this hot young chick or whatever and so you're rooting for it to happen. You see that all the time in, in, in television shows, hopefully, that none of our listeners watch. Um, but it's just, it's something that we, that the world treats in such a cavalier manner. And it's like, do you understand the gravity of what it means to, again, with Israel cheating on God and, and going to those pagan gods with you cheating on your spouse, again, the, the pornography thing that I already, uh, addressed just a second ago, no wonder why our kids don't view it in the way that we think that they should view it because they don't view sex itself just as we started with in the way that they should. But it's only when you lay it out in this fashion this is what we really need to be teaching kids because then they'll have the proper understanding. That's why I'm not supposed to look at porn. That's why I'm not supposed to fornicate. I didn't, didn't bring that one up. That's why I'm not supposed to commit adultery on my spouse. Right. I'm going to transition you to one of the other things uh, I think we need to talk about is real, real fast. The, 
before we get there, I wanted Real to fast. touch on... Real fast. We've run out of time here. Yes, I know. But I wanted to discuss the fornication really fast because that is a difficult one for people because they go, what's the problem with it? Like, sex is... And especially if I'm committed to my, to my future spouse. Hey, we're already engaged. I know I'm going to get married to them. So we start kind of slipping on some of these things. I wanted to briefly mention the reason fornication is so bad is because the covenant has not actually been established. You can't... So you can't fully give yourself or be fully naked, quote unquote, with a person that you have not given yourself over to in a in a covenant relationship in the eyes of God. They might leave you tomorrow. So the sex is not going to be near as good. And so you you're are basically putting skipping into, a step. Would that be? Right. And you're putting yeah. into a bank account that has no bottom. It's going right through because there's nothing that's capturing that covenant relationship pushing you toward God. First off, you're in sin. So of course you're not pushing toward God. You're pushing away from him and you're pursuing your physical gratification without there being any spiritual and emotional implications. Well, that actually leads perfectly into the question I was going to bring up is the dominant modern understanding of this whole thing, even within the church, I think, is you do it for your personal happiness. Marriage is for your personal happiness. Your sex is for your personal happiness. And we see in the world, if it's not making me happy anymore, I'm out. I quit. Like, go until you're not happy anymore and then do whatever you want. And that's part of the fornication thing is you do it because it makes you happy, but you're not giving anything in return. You're only taking and that's why it's such an issue is you haven't put any commitment on the line. You haven't, you know, signed your life into a, a balance with this person where you're you're linked for life. Uh, you're just taking because it feels good for me. And you can make it out to be it's about both of us. It's really not because you haven't given anything in that. You're just getting the good feeling. And so let's get to this mutual happiness thing. Why? Obviously, you both people in a marriage, you, you ideally, both people are happy. Uh, both people are happy with their sex life. But... When we start with that being the purpose, why is that a problem? Why is, is that not biblical? To have both, to, to pursue your individual happiness? To make, you're saying? yeah, 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 just that I do this for, that we do it for our happiness, and we find happiness in each other, and, oh, you know, why am I going to marry this person? Because they make me happy. Right. That kind of thing. And, yeah. and why have sex with somebody? Oh, because it makes me happy. Well, great, but that's not a good point. Right, because happiness is very finite you will have these the seven-year itch right you'll have times in your marriage where they don't make you happy that's not the point you you entered into a covenant you you decided but in the eyes of god before god that you would commit your life to this person this is why divorce is so abhorrent to god as it rips away everything that god has decided or has established in a marriage and it's cheapening it it's the same thing as breaking up in in dating culture like it cheapens the relationship and happiness will be finite. Now, there it will come and go. There will be times where you're happier than ever, and the sex is great and everything else, but what do you do when your spouse fails to make you happy? When she's had a really difficult day, and sex is just not where she's at. Or, you you know, the guy's had a difficult day, and she's dolled herself up, and everything is great, and she thinks this is, this is going to happen. The guy goes, I got a report due tomorrow. My mind is not on that. And they start thinking that, well, hold on a second. I was trying to make you happy and apparently I'm not good enough. And so we start getting into like happiness goes out the window. And when you're only pursuing happiness and you're not really pursuing the covenant love, which is happy or not, I have chosen to love this person fully. Um, sex, I think, is one of the first things to go because we only view it as a way to be happy. And so then we start viewing it as a bargaining chip and either using it as this is the only way I can make them happy or I'm going to take that away from them because they're not making me happy. And it ruins the idea of sex and marriage, and I think that, and I don't know, Jack, if that's where you're going with it, but that's kind of where my my mind with went when you asked that question. 
Yeah, because that leads to another thing. You've kind of gotten uh, hinted at it a little bit, but there's very much this pervasive idea that sex is for the man. Uh, you know, that the woman, it's it's a duty she's performing for him, and but it, it's it's always going to be more his thing than her thing. Some women, you know, they're like kind of grossed out by it. And I mean, there's very much a thing of like the man's sex drive might say, man, every three, four days, I'm kind of in the mood needing something. And she's like, ah, I could do it once or twice a month. And so then she's like, well, I, I don't need to be forced to do any more than that. And, and of course, he doesn't want to force her to, as you said earlier, feels like raping her. Uh, and so when you run into that kind of issue, well, it doesn't make me happy to do it any any more often than once every two or three weeks. Um, and so basically, deal with it, dude. Sorry. Right. Uh, that kind of thing comes up. And, and again, that whole, well, the woman's drive, you know, this doesn't make her happy. And, and so you've got to kind of deal with that. What do you deal with an issue like that? What do you do, with, you know, if a couple comes to you with an issue like that? I was just going to add in before you answer, Joe. What's so interesting about the fact that that is a lot of the kind of the mainstream view on it, you, you look at 1 Corinthians 7, which is one of the, the central places in the New Testament that talks about marriage. Paul deals with it in a very, you know, in a very uh, dual type of way, right? The husband and the wife. Let the uh, 1 Corinthians uh, 7 verse 3, let the husband render to his wife the affection due her and likewise also the wife to her husband. It goes back and forth. It goes two ways. Wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband does. And likewise, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but the wife does. Do not deprive one another. He doesn't tell, he's not commanding the wife, hey, don't deprive your husband, you know, because he's the only one that wants it. No, it, it's both ways. It, it's, right. it's the husband, the wife rendering the affection due to each other, you know, get the giving of their bodies to the other you know, that's something that's biblical is that it goes both ways. It is not, Jack, as you spoke to the, well, it's just for the guy and then just for his enjoyment and the wife just kind of has to put up with it. But And it's it's right there. It's plain in Scripture. But sorry to interrupt, Joe. You can go ahead and answer Jack's question. No, you're good. Um, I will say a quick note on the First Corinthians 7. That's not intended to be a stick to beat the other one upside the head. Um, it, it, but at the same time, there is a very real aspect to a lot of wives and I think this this can happen with husbands as well. I know of, of cases where that's is the opposite is true, actually, where the husband deprives the wife, um, especially if there's pornography involved, but that's not even always the case. Sometimes the guy just doesn't want it. There is a deprivation of one another, and at some point you are in sin. What I would say in those situations where a, where a wife doesn't want it, you need to understand why you don't really like it. There may have been sexual trauma in the past, and it's a very traumatizing thing every time you go into the bedroom. There may be some serious body image issues. Satan uses that big time. Ever since you're, you know, by the time a girl turns, what, 10, 11, 12, she is put into a hypersexualized culture where she needs to look like Barbie. Then you get into the marriage, maybe she gains a few pounds, they both gain a few pounds, and her self-esteem just goes through the floor, and her body image issues, you know, skyrocket. And I just don't think I look good. And it's like, don't deprive your husband of loving on you and thinking that you're sexy just because you don't look like the Instagram model that, that you happen to see. You're not Kim Kardashian. Nobody cares. Let your husband love you. At the same time, we're all really touchy on this. Very difficult subject to, to talk about with one another because if the wife, if the husband does say, hey, you know, I really like when you wear this or when you wear a little more makeup or whatever else, it's like that sends her into a spiral of he must not love me. He doesn't think I'm enough. And then she with you know she can easily withhold sex, and we think the guy runs to porn to get his sexual needs met. That's not true. The guy runs to porn because he feels worthy of rejection, because he thinks my wife doesn't love me, and most of the time it connects to a past trauma of his own, of 
the way that I really want to be loved is less sexual. It's actually more of a an emotional connection that he wants to have with his wife that is is played out through sex. And when she deprives him of that, he is both emotionally and physically cut off from her, and so he runs elsewhere. So we need to understand our motivations for why we want sex in the first place. The guy who wants sex every day, I don't think that's healthy, actually. I think I think that shows that you are not getting your needs met. And you could say, well, duh, yeah, my wife doesn't give it. No, I'm saying your emotional needs. You shouldn't need sex every day. It's like the kid who looks, and this was me. I mean, man, you could have masturbated five times a day before you get married. And then when you get into a healthy sex life, all of a sudden, I don't need sex five times a day. Well, what happened? My sexual drives changed based on my intimacy, my my emotional intimacy being fulfilled. So husbands, talk to your wives. If she doesn't want sex, don't force her into it. Say, we need to talk about this. What is it that, that turns you off about sex? Is there a way that I can help? Is there something I can do in the bedroom to help you feel better about it? And if it comes back to, I just don't feel sexy, you validate her. I'm really sorry to hear that. You, I am incredibly attracted to you, but she's not going to listen to that because she goes, yeah, you're basically, you sign a contract, you have to. What you need to say is, why do you think that is? And you dig into some of her core beliefs, which is I'm not enough for you. A lot of times that's the case. Or the man repulses because maybe you have pushed sex on her so much that she is now using it as a bargaining chip and a way to to kind of withhold because that's the only power she has in the marriage. It's her only sense of leverage. She knows you want something and you don't give her the time of day in any other way so she'll withhold. Have these open conversations with one another and get to the bottom of why she doesn't like it. Vice versa if the guy isn't. Maybe there is an undisclosed porn problem and maybe not. Don't just jump to that conclusion. That's not always the case. But if you're struggling in your sex life, go out on, maybe don't go out on a date that's in public, but either way, get some time maybe away from the kids and have a very clear discussion of, I don't think our sex life is where it needs to be. Why? What can we do about it? I think we really need to start working on this, maybe setting some time aside, whatever it may be. Be very intentional on this because once again, don't miss the blessing that God gave us. Okay. Just hypothetical, let's say, because uh, this is, you know, the conversation I had had a while back with somebody was it's just by all by all appearances, just low energy, just not high on her priority list, high on his priority list, not on hers. Uh, where does do they meet in the middle? Does she uh, does he just OK, well, she's not interested any more than once a month. And so I've just got to figure out what to do. I don't think so, but I'm going to put it to you. What are the what's the answer there? If they have kids? I'm not going to give specifics. <laughs> okay. Yes, okay. yes. Um, most of the time, a woman will put into her kids, and then at the end of the day, be like, I'm so tired, I've been giving to the kids. You're wrong. You're wrong. You chose your husband. You chose your husband first. He comes first. Look, your kids will be out of the house one day. You'll still have your husband. Are you putting into your marriage? The woman is wrong if she never saves energy for her husband because she's putting into the kids. And what that tells me is her identity is either in being a good mom or they have some serious issues in the marriage where she's actually running away from it subconsciously. She is putting so much energy out in other ways. You're telling me she has no energy? Are the kids dying because she can't figure out how to get up and get them PB&J? No. So you got enough energy for them. Guess what? You should have enough energy for this. So this constantly, perpetually, I'm tired. Okay, we're either going to go to a doctor and figure this out, figure out why you're always tired. It's in a mental thing, and there's low underlying depression that needs to be dealt with. Or you have a serious phobia of sex, and you are purposely, and, and I would say subconsciously, but you are subconsciously sabotaging your sex life and your husband's life 
by not prioritizing him in general, not just sex. You're not prioritizing him and you're wrong for that. So that's my opinion is... Okay, now, all, of, all of that is great. You're not answering the, the question that I'm trying to get at here. If the do? drives don't align, at the basis, if the drives don't align, what happens? I think the guy needs to come down and the woman needs to come up and get closer, trying to meet closer in the middle. And the way you do this is by understanding what does she really need? Maybe she just needs more conversation and he starts kind of dating his wife again and, and loving her and putting into her where he's getting emotional needs met where no, it's not always physical. I think your physical drive actually goes down the more emotional your needs are. This is why I believe in the physical intimacy or, or being the pinnacle of intimacy is you will desire sex most and the sex will be the best when the other things are taken care of. You're, you're flipping the pyramid upside down if you're trying to get your sexual needs met before everything else. So what I would tell the guy on the different drives, what I would tell the guy is start pursuing your wife and, and meeting her needs emotionally, trying to get your needs met emotionally. And what I would tell the woman is as he meets emotionally, don't pull away and make it more difficult for him. Meet him in that and see what happens. See what happens because most of the time when her needs are met physically or her needs are met intellectually and emotionally and she's feeling very taken care of, she's much more open to accept sex. And when his needs are emotionally taken care of, he doesn't need it all the time because he's not trying to meet those needs in physical ways. So I think they actually do start to align. I think the myth, yes, some people have different sex drives. I understand that. But overall, I think it's kind of a myth to think the woman will always have the lower sex drive and the guy will have a higher sex drive and we just got to figure out, you know, he'll get it as much as she can and she'll withhold as much as he can or as much as she can figure out ways to get closer to meeting in the middle. And I think the emotional is the key in my, all opinion. right. I think with all of that, we're kind of answering one of the things we wanted to close with on the outline of how to have a good sex life. And I, a, a lot of what you're saying there is communication of the emotional, the spiritual, making sure you're close in other ways. But the other thing is like actually talking about this. It's one of those things that you don't just do it and then like leave it in the bedroom for that, that period of time. And then, come back to it you know on the next appointed time kind of thing but like talk about are you enjoying this are you getting enough out of this you know all, all that so discussion all that what else would you put on this point of how to have a good sex life how to improve it how to fix you know, I, yeah just as basic as how to have a good sex life look up Gottman love maps look up the five love languages those will change I think I've talked about it before the five love languages will change but it will give you an understanding of what your spouse needs right now in order to help them feel loved. You want to pursue them as much as possible. So get back to dating your spouse again. I understand you got kids. I understand you're working. There's, you know, everybody's tired. Maybe you're homeschooling. Maybe you're doing whatever else and it's exhausting. I get it. But you know what? Somehow you figure out how to make time despite all the things you had going on while you were dating. You made it work. Get back to that. Have somebody watch the kids while you say, I need to go out on a you know, on a date. Some people look at it as a, as a source of pride of, I haven't been on a date in, you know, five years or whatever it is. Some people look at it and it's very sad. Like I haven't been on a date in five years with my wife. We haven't had time to either one prioritize that, prioritize it, make it something where you just get time to talk and you're putting more into the relationship. Jack, you're spot on. Talk about it. Is it awkward to say it? I don't want to trigger them. I don't want to trigger their, you know, their sense of worthlessness. My wife is really struggling with, you know, with that this is going to sound like horrible husband advice because this gets a lot of guys in the hot water in the doghouse, quote unquote. Everybody knows how I feel about the doghouse. If your wife is perpetually feeling less than with her weight, talk to her about it and figure out how you can help her. You can go on a diet with her. 
You can go to the gym with her. You can push her in those ways. If she's going to constantly complain of, I don't feel good enough, figure out a way. And this is the fix-it fox. You have to validate first. You have to be there emotionally first. But when you've done that and she feels that you care about her, then you say, how can I help you in this? I know you mentioned this a lot. What can I do to help? Can we do something together, right? Make it a team-building effort to work with one another on this and, and be a team. The more you're a team in this, the more you'll be a team in the bedroom with sex. So, uh, yeah, my my I push communication more than anything um, about all things, especially throughout the week and setting aside. So the other th- piece of advice I'll give real quick, and then I'll kick to you, Will. Um, I'm not a huge fan of this, but I think it can help. Set aside either a day of the week or a time. Look ahead on the calendar and say, you know what, Thursday night, I have off work. We can maybe give the kids to somebody. Maybe we can, you know, or they can go sleep at somebody else's house or we can put them down early. We're going to plan for Thursday night to be the night. And maybe we're going to buy a, you know, there's the adventure challenge workbook or whatever it is that gives you some ideas for for how to kind of spice up the bedroom. And it's, from what I am aware, from my understanding of it, it's not super raunchy or anything like super worldly. It's like just having fun in the bedroom with one another. If you need to buy one of those, great. Buy a book that's going to help you understand. The Celebration of Sex by Rosnow. Um, great book. I think you actually may be a Christian. It's in the Christian realm. Um, that's that's a great one that gives you different um, sexual positions, things like that, to just have fun in the bedroom. Enjoy sex. God intended for it to be enjoyed. Set aside some time if you have to. I think that's a great way to wrap. Um, don't let Satan win with awkwardness. You know, don't, don't, don't let the awkwardness win out. And so, so that you don't talk about it. This of course applies to the husband, the wife together. This applies uh, for ministers. If you're a minister listening, and this is just one of those things that you've stayed away from. Uh, maybe you're somebody who teaches uh, classes regularly. And this is just, this is, as we started the episode with, this is something we have to start talking about. This is something we have to start communicating uh, to each other about. Obviously again, applies to a husband and wife, but it also applies within the church. It implies parents to, or it applies uh, parents to kids. Uh, so I want to thank Joe. Uh, we told him at the start of this episode that we were going to uh, defer to him, that he did not need to worry about being a mic hog because this is something that he has a lot of knowledge about, a lot of uh, wisdom, a lot of experience dealing with uh, people that struggle with this. So I want to thank him for, for all of his uh, comments, all the things that, again, hopefully this is an episode that has been helpful. Hopefully this has been a wake-up call. If there are those who maybe this is a struggle for them, maybe this is something that uh, again, is, is difficult between you and your spouse, or maybe it's just something you don't like to talk about. And so we hope that this uh, opens the door for that uh, at, at the very minimum, at the very least. And again, as Jack brought up to start, stay tuned for next week. Uh, we're going to somewhat stay on this topic. Obviously, we're going to delve into a different direction. We're going to have my dad on for his uh, premiere episode. He's not been on an episode with us yet, and we're almost a year into this, uh, at least consistently. So uh, be on the lookout for that. That will drop next week. Uh, but guys, you have anything else to add before we wrap up this episode? Briefly, uh, I will say, I've painted with a broad brush in some of these areas. I'm very aware there are are difficult circumstances for each marriage. Trust me, I'm very aware of that. Every client is different. Every person I work with and talk to is different. So you may have a different way or, or, you know, a different experience or whatever else. I think I set up, Jack, I think you set one up for me, joe at focuspress.org. Email me. You got some questions about this. You got disagreements. You got whatever it may be. Email me, joe at focuspress.org. I'd be happy to talk more with you about any of these things if you do need some advice you need some help whatever that looks like um let me know and and i'd be willing or you know super happy to help um if that's something that you need but as always drop us a comment leave us a like whatever it is we'd love to hear from you especially on this episode we realize this is a difficult episode we thank you if you made it this far thanks for sticking with us anything else fellas 
All right, with that, we're going to wrap up. Thanks for listening.